Hello and welcome to the Tefauti podcast series. Right, so the next version of the Tefauti pod series has Ian Craig OBE joining us. Ian needs minimal introduction um, for those that operate in the conservation world here at home in Kenya, having been responsible for setting up uh, the Northern Rangelands Trust along uh, some fellow colleagues. And that consists now of a massive 39 conservancies, community-owned and importantly run. These conservancies cover the northern frontier of the prime dryland wildlife territories and have enabled, developed, supported and funded thousands of people uh, amongst hundreds of different communities. So no mean feat. Welcome, Ian. Thank you for, uh, for joining us on the Tefauti Pod. No, thank you, Krista. Look forward to, to sharing it all. Um, so, Ian, just to sort of kick us off, and I guess to give people a little bit of perspective about the operation that, that you guys run, it all started at the Lewa Wildlife Conservancy that is uh, reputational. Um, on reflection, do you think it would, did you really think it would grow to the size that NRT is now? Now, Christian, you know, my wildest dreams, we set out to look after a black rhino, Kenya, to support government in looking after a black rhino when they'd hit 200. Um, you know, I come from a farming family. We availed the land to look after these rhino. And we slowly, the whole project just grew and it took obvious sort of steps, step by step, as we started engaging with communities uh, to protect the rhino. So protecting rhino with, through and with communities rather than just guns. Uh, it opened up all sorts of new windows of opportunity that suddenly were just an obvious route to go down. So no, in my wildest dreams, I never believed we'd be, be looking at a landscape like this to be conserved. Yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing what you guys have, have achieved over, over the period. And it's kind of been a long game, hasn't it, Ian? You know, it's, it's taken a while to get where we're going and there's been a lot of learnings, I'm sure, sort of along the way. Um, you know, what have you, what, what's the real learnings that you think you can sort of uh, put into words for people that kind of have taken you through that journey to get you to where NRT is, uh, is now? So my conservation journey has really been based on listening, watching, thinking, um, but more than anything, listening to what I, I hear from other, other people, because conservation is really about people, uh, you know, looking after the animals, uh, even finding the money, that's all pretty obvious, but it's listening to people, seeing where you can influence um, a better life for people through conservation, because as soon as somebody's life is improved, just like mine, through conservation, I'm going to engross it, I'm going to embrace it and, and, and make it happen. And so the big lesson is having a long horizon. Um, you know, I've been in this now for 30 years, more than 30 years, and and every couple of years, suddenly a very obvious door opens where you just simply have to go through. Uh, probably the best example is the black rhino. Uh, we started off with 12 black rhino. Uh, today, within Lewa, I think there's a little over 100, 104 black rhino. Um, and you suddenly realize we've invested a lifetime, millions of dollars, massive political um, sort of uh, mileage in building this space for rhino. But you don't end there. Mm. You can't just say, I've fulfilled my life with taking 12 rhino to 100 rhino. You have to invest that energy and those contacts and that credibility into the next space for rhino. Mm. And of course, um, 
you know, that's not on your own private land. It might be on community land. It might be on government land. So it's it's always having a horizon beyond the immediate sort of crisis of, of conservation, if you see what I mean. Yeah, definitely. And you sort of talk a little bit about the the complexities on the ground and understanding the community's needs and the listening. And I think a lot of the time, you know, the, the conservation landscape is defined by models that we work, may work in one area, but might not necessarily be good in another. Have you found that sort of within your, within obviously the tribal communities that you work in and amongst? You know, Chris, so much of formal conservation is through planning. <laughs> And of course, you have to have plans, and you have to have budgets, and you have to have the formal process to take you from A to B. But the reality on the ground is often so different from that plan. And, and the only way you get the reality of the ground is to have a network of people that care, who have time to care, mm-hmm. who have time to listen, and engage with the people who live on that land and, and, and find their livelihood and their life on that land. And what's so rich about NRT is that we do, we have this extraordinary network of really dedicated people who every single day are working with local communities Mm -hmm. and they're drawing issues out of those people's everyday lives and then bringing them back to us as a sort of think tank to how we can improve somebody's life through conservation and benefit wildlife Mm -hmm. and that is what is is unique about nrt and another lovely example is sarah sarah rhino sanctuary in samburu county uh, was a no man's land. It was a war zone, mm. and it was a, a area that nobody could graze their cattle because constantly it was in this a, situation of flux between two different ethnic groups. As more firearms came in, it became more violent, um, and so it was literally a no man's land. The community established a rhino sanctuary there. Mm-hmm. They fenced off uh, a little over a hundred square kilometres. Government put in ten rhino. As we speak, there's 18 rhino, there's a tourist lodge there, there's 90 people employed there. It's suddenly a whole new economy that has grown out of a, of a piece of ground that was simply uh, lost to, to society or to the people that own that land entirely through conservation. Yeah, a pretty amazing uh, success story and, and the accessibility that that now offers to, to some of those endangered species like the rhino is, is, is pretty formidable. Uh, I guess now moving on to sort of the conservancies and the setup and the way NRT sort of has structured itself, you've grown exponentially. Um, you know, now 39 uh, community-owned and run um, conservancies. Sort of what is the target? I guess it's always sort of like trying to work out, you know, how much more, how can we keep growing? And I know your capacity with Kenya Wildlife Service obviously caters within that. You know, how, where, is, where is the vision and, and where is NRT going to go from here? Mr. I, uh, NRT, or the community conservation model that's evolved through NRT, is a common sense model. And, you know, it's not a case of uh, one size fits all. Uh, you know, working on a Uganda border in West Pokot is very different from working with the Somali communities on the Tana River. So you have to adapt the model to fit each social, ethnic, political, geographical space that we're working in. What my personal aspiration is, is to see this model taken outside of Kenya, mm-hmm. because it could work in Alaska, it can work in South America, it can work in Zambia, where you have a government who recognizes the value, the, the social value of investing in, in communities through conservation. This model can change people's lives. So as far as Kenya is concerned, 
the footprint is my expectation is will continue to grow mm-hmm. into the arid areas of northeastern Kenya where pastoralism and conservation can work hand in hand in a non-competitive um, space this footprint will grow I'm sure it will grow because it's improving people's lives it's bringing uh, peace it's bringing water it's bringing employment it's bringing economies uh, county governments are now really um, taking this on board the Samburu County government has has championed this and pioneered it in Kenya and now more and more county governments are visiting Samburu to pick up the sort of modalities and the legislation around it. But my own personal hope is that it goes outside of Kenya, that it starts moving into other countries where there's large open landscapes with non-conflicting land use, mm-hmm. where this model can, can improve a future for wildlife. And a lot of it is uh, around sort of empowering people. I mean, that's what I find inspiring with the NRT model is is you know other other operations a lot of the time are sort of more dictatorial and determine how you know a community needs to embrace something whereas a lot of this is about sort of the learning the immersive piece as it were sort of listening learning and understanding a little bit more and then trying to generate a partnership um, that has a bit of empowerment and and sort of support and partnership within it um, to sort of give it longevity. And I think, as you say, you know, rolling that out in other countries, um, because it has been, uh, you know, one of the success stories uh, here in Kenya in the conservation landscape is a very, very encouraging uh, opportunity. So absolutely. But Getting us back to sort of the Tefauti element and, and NRT's partnership with Tefauti. And, and we've just heard from Ian the reasons why we obviously partner with you guys, because we're very aligned with a lot of our sort of uh, moral compass, should I say. Um, we're actually partnering with, with NRT on, uh, in Lysamis on the Malacca Conservancy. You mentioned water being a, a massive commodity or massive need uh, in the northern frontier in, in Kenya. Um, You've seen sand dams being done before in the north. Um, what are your sort of thoughts on this, just to sort of give our audience a little bit of an idea as to the impact that this provision can give both to community and wildlife in, uh, in Lysamis itself? So, you know, in the world that we all live and every day, we're privileged to expect clean water as uh, like uh, the air we breathe. It's just there. <laughs> the good Lord provides us with water. A lot of northern Kenya does not have that luxury. Um, Many of the communities that we're working in and with, uh, some of the women, my expectation is 30% of their day could be taken up providing clean water back to their family. Now, if conservation and through partnerships, we can change that. So that those families, uh, mothers have a more productive day, those children have clean water. it's a, a significant improvement to their life, but also it's a factor where conservation can play a role in improving people's everyday lives. And so it's a win-win for people and for conservation. And where Tefauti has been uh, you know, such a, a valued partner in this is that your attention to detail, your uh, slow, progressive approach to making a decision. When you make a decision, it's a, a very well thought out, calculated decision. And I, I like how you, you capture the nexus between people, the environment, uh, and, and, cons- and wider conservation. And Lysamus, I, I saw it, you know, it, it, there are wonderful films of Lysamus right back to the 1930s that one can access. It was a little flowing stream in a desert. Um, 
as grazing increased around the, the town there, the ground cover went, the, the collection of water reduced. As the town grew, people started collecting sand in the riverbed there. Um, all the rubbish from the town got washed into it. So it, it was virtually a sewer mm. uh, and with no water. Now these sand dams and a series of sand dams have slowed the flow of water down the river. They've, um, the sand has built up, the flow of water has returned. I have to say it's a bit of a miracle what's happening in that valley. And, and it's early days, but I foresee over the next 10 years that the river could easily come back to a, a little flowing stream like it was 70 years ago. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the Grevy Zebra Foundation, they're in there, um, or the Grevy Zebra Trust, sorry, whatever they're called. They're, they're actually very much sort of em embraced in there. NRT has put some sand dams in there just to give people a little bit of an idea about the landscape. And then the the location that we've decided to to, to go for is is somewhat out of town comparatively to the others because it's exactly that it's sort of thinking through whilst we're trying to benefit communities um, because they have to understand the value of wildlife and the provision comes because of the wildlife we also don't want to bring wildlife to town uh, ideally so it was kind of trying to get that nice balance where you sort of a kilometer or so out of town so that the wildlife can can come to that area um, and and get water as you say which is not so readily available in the north yeah exactly you know there, there were no elephant in my summers for 30 years maybe 35 years uh, elephant now a regular <laughs> sort of passing through Lysamas. This is just how conservation is, is changing the, the wildlife landscape there. Grevy zebra were down to tiny numbers. They're now increasing. So suddenly, you know, this nexus between wildlife and people and investment into development, people's development, it, you know, it, it's a lovely example of it in Lysamas. Um, now, I know I know your response to this, Ian, because we've been lucky enough to get to know each other quite well. And, and it's not all about sort of your greatest achievement. But, you know, it is it is no mean feat what what the NRT and what you've been spearheading uh, has gone about achieving. What would you say is kind of the greatest achievement that, that you guys have managed to to muster with with the team you've been able to, to build? Mr. Probably if there was one single biggest achievement, it is changing the narrative around conservation. Um, conservation used to be the realms of, of government alone, with a tiny role for private sector, certainly in Kenya, obviously different countries, different issues. Communities were not players in the conservation game. And we've changed that. NOT has completely changed the narrative of conservation. And conservationists now are not the famous people around the world who have made a difference. Conservationists in northern Kenya are the local community. And everybody um, sees conservation as a means to an end. And that end is improving your everyday lives. No, absolutely. Um, and I, I, there's so many um, broad listeners out there, you know, who are in first world countries or um, don't necessarily aren't as connected, you know, through our privileged lives in where we can see wildlife roaming sort of almost within our gardens. Um, and they all want to help in some way, uh, but it's kind of really difficult to know how uh, and what you've built up and, 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 you know, some of the people that you engage with uh, from a donor body. What would be your bit of advice, I guess, for somebody who is super keen to try and help out, but uh, slightly restricted, obviously, current climates taken into consideration um, as to how they can sort of harness their efforts into something tangible that will really make an impact? Because that's what this is about. How do we leave 
a legacy of helping wildlife and communities alike. You know, Chris, if I lived in a village somewhere <laughs> in Devon and I wanted to help conservation across the world, where would I start? I think there's, there's two absolute extremes in this. Uh, you know, and I see from an artist's perspective, what is what are the wheels that make enable us to conserve wildlife and make a difference here? One is government. Uh, uh, development aid that is linked to the environment is a big game changer. Mm. And, you know, that, that's a political process to, to make those decisions. And a political process can easily be lobbied through members of parliament, through all the, you know, through, through uh, governments. Yeah. And it's no small, it's no small deal that because a, it's big money, B, it's long-term money, and, and you can really invest in a structured plan. So big picture, it's that. Quick, immediate uh, impact on the ground. It's organizations like Tafauti that um, invest in uh, situations where a relatively, let's say a small amount of money can have a really big impact. And I'd like to focus on the roan antelope that Tafauti is is supporting. Kenya's roan antelope are down to 14 or 15 animals. Those are the only roan antelope left in Kenya. Yeah. Do we do nothing about it? No, when we heard about that, when Tafauti heard about that, we, we stepped into that space, we grew some partnerships, we brought some friends together, and we catalyzed a change. We came up with a plan. Tafauti spoke to, to people, I spoke to people. We got a partnership where my expectation is over the next five years, we will change the future of Roan Antelope in Kenya. I, I'm hopeful and things could go wrong. So I think it's, a, it's political influence and investment into uh, small effective charities like Tafauti that really have an impact on the ground. Yeah, I guess, you know, it's there's some big operators out there, uh, absolutely, that, you know, a lot of people have heard of. But um, what I sort of trying to sort of direct to Fauci and the amazing leadership group that we've got um, is about being small, being nimble, being quite versatile uh, and being able to sort of really, really affect the impact, as you say, in on the ground that where the need and go where the need is most. The Roan Antelope Project is exciting because obviously partnering with Kenya Wildlife Service and and a lot of other sort of players within that and Orpedita, you know, who are well-known uh, entities within within the space and being able to, as you say, affect and rehabilitate a species that uh, potentially is at a loss in Kenya. Just, just really quickly to give people an insight um, as to why we went with the model we've gone for, Ian, you were... You were sort of very, very involved with the Hirola project in Ishak Bin, for those that don't know about it, uh, in sort of the, the Lamu or the more coastal district, which is part of NRT as well. Uh, we've kind of adopted that model, really, for the Rhone, haven't we? If you just give us a little bit of an insight into that. You know, uh, there are none in zoos, none in captivity, only found in the Horn of Africa, um, in southern Somalia and Kenya. They're extinct in Somalia. And there's a tiny population left in uh, northeastern Kenya, in one locality, within the Somali community. Um, the, the local community extremely proud of them. They won't let any leave that location or go out of their area. And through NRT, uh, we partnered with the local community there. We studied the Hirola carefully to see why they had declined. There are less than 500 left in the world, down from about 17,000 in the, in the late 70s. Uh, we, we, through science, we, we, we recognized that it was predation was the main reason for their decline and some poaching. 
There were just too few Harola, too many lion, leopard, wild dog, hyena, cheetah. So we suggested to the community that we take away all the negatives, that we fence off an area on their land that the community would manage, take the predators inside the sanctuary out, put them into the, into the wider area, take a small population of Harola and put them into the fenced area. We put in 48 in 2012, and I'm off actually on Thursday to count them again, but I'm expecting to find 150 there. So in that seven year period, eight year period, you know, they've gone up three. We just, because we took away the negatives. So we really multiplied our, our bank balance of Hirola three times in a mere eight years. The lessons learned from that were applying to the Rhone because it looks to me like the issues are exactly the same. We've looked at it and the methodology of doing it, fencing an area, taking the predators out, giving those Rhone the best chance with no negatives. Yeah. We, we expect them to go. Thanks, Ian. Thank you so much for making the time. I know, I know you're a busy man uh, up and down the country. So really, really appreciate you joining us and obviously massively appreciate some of the partnerships that we're lucky enough to, to enjoy and benefit communities and wildlife um, alike with Tefalti. So thanks, Ian. Um, a safe trip. I know you're heading out now and uh, I really, really appreciate your support. Lovely. Chris, thank you to Tefalti for our partnership. <laughs> it's very valuable. I'm Krista Cullen. Thank you for listening. And if you'd like to know more about Tefalti and our projects, please do visit us on tefalti.org. T-O-F-A-U-T-I.